0: Well, good morning, and thank you for this opportunity to be with you today, this morning and this evening. And uh, very honored to do so, and hope you can spend the day with us. You may have heard uh, the story of the bricklayer who um, was finished working on a six-story building and had a load of bricks left over that he was going to transport back to the ground to be carried from the construction site. So he decided that he would load them in a barrel and lower them by a pulley to the ground. Now, there was maybe some 500 pounds of bricks or so. So rather than carrying him down, he decided to lower the barrel using this pulley, which was attached to the side of the building. Well, he swung the barrel out over the side, and he had uh, secured the rope on the on the uh, on the ground, so he went down to the ground and um, untied the rope. well, unfortunately, the bricks weighed five hundred pounds, and he weighed one hundred and sixty and grabbing the pulley as the bricks came down, he went up and uh halfway up, he ran into the uh <laughs> He ran into the barrel, and according to the insurance department, uh, the insurance report, he said, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building, and in the vicinity of the third floor, met the barrel, which was now proceeding downward at an equally impressive speed. This explains the fractured skull, minor abrasions, broken collarbone, as listed in my claim. Slowed only slightly, I continued all the way up to the top of the building, where my knuckles were caught in the pulley. Well, I regained my presence of mind and was able to hold on to the rope. But now, because the barrel had hit the ground and broke apart, there was now no weight at the bottom, and so I began my descent. Uh, somewhere uh, near the third floor, the barrel hit me again. And, uh, and this accounts for my fractured ankles, uh, broken tooth severe lacerations in the lower body. But my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell into the pile of the bricks, which fortunately only three vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, as I lay there on the pile of bricks in pain, I again lost my composure and let go of the rope and lay there watching the empty barrel begin its journey back down on me. And this explains my two broken legs. He's still a bricklayer, <laughs> despite all this. That's what you would call resilience. The ability to withstand trials, hardships, difficulties, <coughs> and come back. To come back stronger than what you were before. In this, in, in the service this morning... I'd like to read a story, Truly Resilient Family. A family that faced incredible difficulties and odds and yet came back, not only strong, but indeed to change the world. In Exodus chapter 2, we're told the story, beginning with verse 1, of the birth of Moses. And it reads this way, Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, some um, translations say no ordinary child, she hid him for three months because Pharaoh had ordered that all male children be thrown in the Nile because the Hebrews had become too numerous. This is some 400 years after Joseph had been there, and a Pharaoh rose who knew not, Uh, Joseph and what he had done to save their country and now the uh, what had been 70 people or thereabouts was now several million and the uh, the Egyptians were worried they were going to revolt and perhaps take over the country or do something so they put them in slavery to make bricks as you know and yet they kept um, multiplying and um, as time went on Uh, Pharaoh decided the only way to stop this is to to get rid of all the male boys. So he had issued a decree, the girls could live if they're born, the boys must die. Well, that's the background of this story that um, this Levite, uh, scripture would tell us later his name was Amram and Jochebed was his mother, uh, had this child and she knew she was supposed to have him thrown in and drowned in the river, but instead she hid him for three months. But, it says in verse 3, when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch, she placed the child in it, and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. This was Miriam, we would learn later. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then Miriam steps up and says to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered, and the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Should we pray for a moment? Heavenly Father, we thank you that... In the midst of all the difficulties we can face, by faith, we can endure them. And as we trust you and obey you, not only do we endure them, we come back stronger. We come back uh, more, more confident in our faith. We come back with a story to tell our children we come back with a testimony to your goodness and your ability to keep us. I pray for those who are going through difficulties right now. They may be short-term. They may have been going on for years. They may end soon. There may be no end in sight. Whatever it is, I pray that this message from your word would encourage their hearts to continue on. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like to talk, first of all, maybe give you a definition in this case of resilience, what I mean from the story of Moses and his family. The resilient family, that has got two characteristics. The first is, they are dedicated, sold out, if you will, to serving Christ. A resilient family is dedicated to serving Christ. Second, they are dedicated to loving one another. And this is the key, whatever the cost. Whatever the cost, they're going to serve Jesus Christ and they're going to love one another. If I could give you a formula for making it through hard times, difficult trials, this would be it. The Scripture teaches. Let's look one at a time at characteristics of a resilient family. The resilient family, number one, have hearts that are set apart for God's service. A resilient family has decided in their heart that we are going to set ourselves apart for God's service. Years ago, in fact, it's 40, uh, this, this March will be 44 years ago I got engaged and June will be 44 years that Cheryl and I have been married. And as we were planning our wedding so many years ago and sending out our invitations, we thought about what we wanted to put on that to send to people. And it didn't take long for either of us to agree. We still have one copy of our wedding invitation kind of varnished or whatever on a plaque. We kept one of them, and it just said this, As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And Cheryl and I agreed. That would be our life mission. That would be our purpose for being together. As for us, we shall serve the Lord. We, um, we wanted to set apart our family from the very beginning for God's service, whatever that might look like. Well, it says, a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. And as you read the Bible forward, these first five books of the Bible, you discover that God chose the Levites to be his priests, to be his ministers, to be the people that would keep the tabernacle, offer the sacrifices, that they would be God's representatives. In fact, it goes on to say that the Levites would not have houses and property, lands like the other tribes of Israel would be given when later they went to occupy it and this is the reason he said because for the Levites the Lord will be their inheritance I will be your inheritance not your land not your bank accounts not your herds not your cars I will be your inheritance and I just want to encourage each of you each of your families perhaps you've done this perhaps this has been true Your entire life, I pray that it has. But if not, set yourselves apart for God's service. Say, we exist to serve you, Lord. And and that may take so many different forms in, in life. Serving the church, serving your neighbors in the name of Christ. Whatever it is, at your work. But we are set apart for God's service. And I want to encourage you, a family set apart for God's service, he is going to watch over that. He's going to watch over you. It's not that he's going to spare you from trouble and trial and hardship, loss or sorrow or heartbreak. The Bible never promises that. What he promises is when those things happen to you, he will be there in a very special way to guard and protect and sustain and allow you to continue. Set apart for God's service. It's no accident that uh, a Levi, a Levite from the House of Levi that this is where this story begins of the marvelous deliverance of the people of Israel. Number two, the resilient family are people of extraordinary faith. And, and yes, we we all believe. But as someone said, faith is, is not only believing that God can, but that he will. Not just believing that, yeah, God can solve this, or God can open this door, or yes, he can do this, but do you believe that he will in his time, when his purposes maybe for your trial have been fulfilled? It was Andrew Murray the Great, um, the great writer, the great godly uh, pastor of many centuries ago, who said, whenever we face a trial, four things are true. Allowed this trial into our life. Not that he sends evil and hardship, but he allowed this. He has, in a sense, brought us into this place where we are in this trial. So we are here because God has allowed this. Number two, that is a New Testament commentary on this wonderful story. And it speaks in chapter 11, which is the hall of faith, about Moses and his parents. In chapter 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, I read that, but... The most important words I read were the first two, by faith, by faith. A resilient family gets through what they're going through by faith. There's no other route. There's no other method. I mean, you can try other things a positive thinking. You can try a number of um, But at the end of the day, the only way we can be resilient is if we are living by faith, which means you believe not only God can, but that he will. Number three, the resilient family loves their children in sacrificial and in practical ways. A resilient family has love that binds it together and that love is like this. It is sacrificial, meaning I will do things for my children, maybe for my spouse, that cost me. I will do things that are difficult and that cause me uh, cause me to give up something, to risk something, cause me to lose something, whatever it might be. But it is sacrificial but it is also practical. Think about this. They risked, the parents risked, being caught by Pharaoh's people for keeping a male boy, which probably certainly would have meant death. It's hard to imagine that they themselves would not have been killed for defying the, king's, the Pharaoh's edict. But Hebrews said by faith they were not afraid of the king's edict. And it says that the mother, when she could no longer hide him, Perhaps he was getting too big, too loud, who knows, to be discovered. But she got to the point after three months where she could hide him no longer. She got a papyrus basket for him. She coated it with tar and pitch. And this was, of course, to keep it afloat, to keep it from uh, sinking in the Nile. She placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Then his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. She kept him as long as she could, and then she did the only thing she could do for him, which was to coat his basket, put him among the reeds, and pray that God would take care of him. His sister Miriam went a step further. She stood there by the Nile and watched her baby brother as that uh, basket floated in the Nile. You see, we both have to be sacrificial, and we have to love our children in practical ways. She did all she could. She gave him every chance she could for him to survive. And then her sister stepped up. And so a resilient family loves their kids, is willing to do anything it takes for them. But at the end of the day, it becomes very practical. It becomes doing what you can, all that you can, for the children that you have. Number four, the resilient family raises children to be both caring and courageous. Now, Miriam, we owe a great deal to Miriam in the church. We really do if it had not been for Miriam, who was willing to stay with her brother to watch over him. And when Pharaoh's daughter came, she took the audacious step of walking up to the daughter of the most powerful man in the world. And she, just a Hebrew girl slave, a young girl, think of the courage it took on her part to do that. Why do we owe so much to Miriam? Because she saved Moses' life. And as we'll see, Moses goes on to grow up to become a great man, maybe the greatest man of the Old Testament, the one who gives the law, the one who leads the people out of Israel. The Ten Commandments today that we have learned and that we teach our children, in one sense you can thank Miriam for that, can't you? Because she saved her brother, who would one day grow up to meet God on the mountain and Finger of God, give us this. You might say, in some sense, the Judeo-Christian values, which we have enjoyed and which has built such a magnificent country and allowed us such great freedom and for us individually to prosper as we have followed the Judeo-Christian value system as taught by the scriptures. That's grounded in the Old Testament where it began and it goes back to Moses and it goes back to Miriam. You see, a resilient family raises their kids to be both caring and courageous. The heart of that sister must have just wept, longed for. You can imagine the tears in her eyes as she watched her mother sobbing, putting that basket in the river and walking away. And she stood there, and she would not leave him. She cared about him, and she was not about to abandon him. And when the moment came that Pharaoh's daughter comes to the bank, she sees the basket and uh, sends a slave girl to get it. She opens it. She goes, this is a Hebrew baby. Now, no doubt Miriam knew the edict about it, why Moses had been put in the river in the first place. But instead of running and hiding, she walks up and says, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse him? You know something? I want my children to be caring people. Don't you want your children to be that? I was speaking with my daughter, grown daughter just a day or two ago. She went to her husband's grandfather's funeral. Uh, Her husband is uh, training to be uh, a doctor and they live down in Alabama and his, his grandfather who had had Alzheimer's for several years unfortunately had passed away. And I talked to her about the funeral a few days ago. She said, Dad, uh, his wife, Nathan's grandmother, took it very, very hard. Um, she, She just could not. At the funeral, she said she came up to me three times, held me, hugged me, cried, and said, I miss him so much. And my daughter just hugged her and cried with her. She said, I wish I could take him home. I wish I wish he could go home with me today. I don't want to leave him here. She was so overcome with grief, but somehow she sensed—and I praise God for this—that my daughter cared, and that my daughter's heart was moved as hers was. She is one of the more sensitive, caring people I know. Um, don't we want that? Don't we want Miriams who care? A resilient family is not this group of tough people where nothing gets to them and no matter what, they're detached from their emotions. No, no, no. A resilient family can feel the heartbreak of others, can experience sorrows themselves, but that's part of their strength, not part of their weakness. Number five, the resilient family is willing to release their children to the will of God a resilient family is willing to release those we love most I guess not just our kids but our our spouse we're willing to release them to the will of God in this case I'm sure for reasons that must have baffled Moses's parents by saving the child they were also going to have to give him up because as we learn um, Pharaoh's daughter said, Take this baby, nurse him, and I'll pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. I'm sure it was hard to watch Moses walk away knowing that they would see him very rarely, if ever, again, that he would be raised among the Egyptians, their gods, their literature, their customs, all of the things which were so foreign. But again, by faith, I believe Moses' parents released him to go with Pharaoh. And of course, God had a plan. He didn't tell them at the time, but the plan was Pharaoh would be ra- or Moses would be raised in the court of Pharaoh. He'd get to know the Egyptians. He'd know their language. He would know their customs, their laws. He would know their rulers. He would know their gods, all of this. And when it would come time to lead his people out of, Israel, out of Egypt, oh, how valuable that was, that he had been educated and understood. You see, sometimes God is working the long game in our lives. It's not the short game. It's not, oh, I can see this. I get that. Sometimes God is playing the long game, which means there are years and years That he is using to prepare. Years and years and years he's using to get us ready for what he has us to do. Um, I read an extraordinary, I saw an extraordinary movie, a documentary long ago. Uh, This is 2023, and this will be, I believe, um, the uh, 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War in Israel. Fifty years ago, in 1973, um, there was a surprise attack on the nation of Israel on the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur. It's called the Yom Kippur War. Why on that date? Because all of the Jews were worshipping. It's the highest and holiest day in Israel. So they were all at the synagogue, or they were all doing certain things, and their enemies said, this is the day they'll be the most unprepared. The soldiers won't be at their normal stations and things won't quite be as ready as they normally are. And sure enough, they attacked, a surprise attack, uh, in several ways and uh, completely caught the Israelis off, off, off balance, off guard. And uh, from every side, they, Syria and Egypt started driving and Israel was losing its tanks and Israel was losing its planes. And uh, Golda Meir, who was the uh, prime minister at the time, said to Moshe Dayan, who was their defense minister, she said, this could be the end of the third temple, meaning the, 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 the modern nation of Israel. And they were down out of ammunition, out of tanks, out of planes, and on the defensive, and things looked very bleak. And Golda Meir called up Richard Nixon, who was in the White House at the time, In the middle of the night, she called him and woke him up and said, you've got to help us. You've got to help us. She said, we're in danger of being destroyed as a nation. And Nixon, in the middle of the night, picked up his phone and called the defense secretary, which was a man by the name of Schlesinger at the time, and he said, give the Israelis everything they are asking for and then double it. Whatever they're needing in terms of tanks, re, you know, ammunition, planes, whatever they need, give them everything and then double it, whatever they need. Well, America used its vast uh, air force, cargo planes, and loaded uh, tens of thousands of pounds and tons of tanks and new ammunition. They, f- they flew things over there day and night. They landed and unloaded all of these things which allowed the Israeli army to re-equip and eventually stage a counteroffensive and drive the Egyptians and the Syrians back to their own borders. In fact, they drove Egypt all the way through the Sinai. They actually crossed the Sinai and went into Egypt. And uh, they took back the Golan Heights and other places. Now, why am I telling you this bit of, of world history? Because when Richard Nixon was a boy... He was raised in California. His father raised tomatoes, actually. He was a tomato farmer. It was a rather poor home. His mother was a Quaker, uh, a devout woman, apparently, a godly woman. And as the documentary shares, she once took her little boy, Richard, and said, Richard, God has told me that someday you are going to do something extraordinary for the Jewish people. I don't know what it is, but God has said he has a purpose for you, Richard, and you are going to do something for the Jewish people. Who would have guessed? Who would have guessed? All these years later, she was right. You see, sometimes God plays the long game and a resilient family is patient in the face of suffering knowing that god is working even when we don't know how or can't see what well we also see that the resilient family lives by a different set of values than the world does a resilient family has a completely different set of values than our world and Tonight I'm going to talk in the, in the evening session about for singles about how they, how they can be godly serving the ungodly or living in an ungodly culture and society. And we're going to look at the story of Daniel and his three men this evening um, about how to remain resilient in a culture that has kind of gone crazy. Well anyway, I want to um, go to Hebrews again for just a moment. Back to chapter 11, and I want to look again to verse 24 now. This again picks up the story of Moses, uh, Hebrews eleven twenty-four. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. See his difference in values? He chose to be mistreated rather than enjoy the pleasures of sins. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. And so we see he had a different set of values. Everything the world could have offered somebody at his age was his as a daughter or a son of Pharaoh, daughter of son of Pharaoh's daughter, to be more precise. But he said, I look around at all this, and I don't want it. I want something better. I want to live, it says, for Christ. <laughs> How he knew that? Well, I'm not entirely certain. The Bible does say that the rock that went with the uh, Israelites as they came out of Egypt, that they, the rock they drank from, that rock was Christ, <laughs> How he was manifest, we don't know. It was a different set of values. I remember hearing the story of George Beverly Shea, who sang so magnificently for forty years with Billy Graham to millions of people around the world. When he was twenty-four or so, twenty-three, he was raised in Canada. He got up one morning, and his mother was there early in the morning, and they were talking. And she said, George, you've got to make a decision. Who are you going to live for in your life? You've got to decide now. And she left him, and he sat and thought about it. And he sat down, and he wrote the words, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. And he decided at that point in his life he'd rather have Jesus. And that's what a resilient family does. That's your set of values. It's not that we can't earn a living. It's not that we can't enjoy material things. God gives us all things richly to enjoy. But what we really value, no one can take from us if it's Christ. The, number seven, the resilient family chooses to endure temporary disgrace for the sake of Christ. Christ. For the riches of eternal glory. They will live with disgrace. They will live with being mocked. They will be live, live with any number of things. If it is for the sake of Christ. Because they know our eternal glory is to come. Well, in the last few minutes, I want to talk about some steps to becoming a resilient family. And these, I've chosen some other scriptures to share with you. And the first is this. It's a word to parents. Build a marriage that attracts children to your faith. Build a marriage that attracts children to what you believe. Uh, If I can be candid for a moment... If I can be frank, it's out of love. But if you argue with your wife or your husband all the time, if your home is filled with strife and tension, if there's always something wrong, if there's an atmosphere of shame, be careful. Because as you profess Christ, but have such an unhappy home, there's going to be a disconnect. And your children are going to feel it. And they will not be able to reconcile what you say on Sunday with how you treat each other on Monday. If your home is filled with fear, if your home is filled with greed, if your home is filled with gossip, I trust not for anyone, but be careful how you lift up your faith and encourage your children toward it. If, on the other hand, how you're living is denying it, or at least making it unattractive. One family told me that the biggest fights their parents ever had were on the way home from church every Sunday. Then, in the car, something would always break loose so that by the time it was for lunchtime, nobody was speaking. Most of those children did not become believers, at least not right away, and spent much of their life away from God. Well, you could say, well, they've rebelled. Yes, I guess so. But what about going back and saying, I'm sorry for the way we acted. It wasn't very Christ-like. See, in a resilient family, you're not perfect. None of us are. But your faith, like Yochabed and Amrad, it attracted their children to what they believed. And I pray, God, that I will not put a stumbling block in the way of my children believing. Malachi warns us in chapter 2.15, or take it as an encouragement, has not the Lord made a husband and wife one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why are they one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit. Do not break faith with the wife of your youth. Malachi is saying you want your kids to believe, then be one. The two of you be one. Not again perfect. Not without our tensions and struggles. Even that can be valuable if they see how you lovingly resolve it. I have people all the time who come to me. I give them tests. Their bitterness scores are up at 80%. And I'll say, did you ever see anybody in your house forgive each other? No. No, there'd be a big blow up. We wouldn't talk about it. Then we just move on. No. Even when you fail, there's an opportunity to bless your children by showing them how to get right with each other. Number two, teach your children the word of God from infancy. Teach your children the word of God from infancy. You're familiar with this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, and it says this. Um, let me get over to 2 Timothy. 315, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that the earliest memory, one of the very few I have of my life, was my mother sitting on our bed at night, I was probably three or four, and she had a Bible picture book. And every night she would read from this Bible picture book to me. I can still remember the pictures of the angels and I could remember different pictures. I couldn't read. But from the very beginning, she started showing me the Bible, the Word of God in picture form. So when my oldest son was born. By then, they had printed a comic book sort of version of the Bible, not comic in the sense of ridiculing, but the artwork, a comic book, and I read that to him. Cheryl read it to him and to all our kids. And then just a few years ago, he called me up. He's 40 now and has three daughters. He said, Dad, that book you read us... When I was little, what is it? I want to find it. I'd like to read it to my girls. You see, you can pass on. Resilient family passes on the word of God to their children. Three, live by faith and not by fear. Live by faith and not by fear. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man is a snare, but he who trusts... In God will be kept safe. Wasn't that true of Moses' family? Live by faith and not by fear. Your children will certainly know the difference. The atmosphere of your home will be very different. Erwin Lutzer tells of the time when he lived in Canada growing up in Alberta, I believe. His father was a wheat farmer, a German immigrant, and one summer... They had planted a wonderful crop. It was doing well, and a hailstorm came. And a horrible hailstorm came, and it just devastated the whole area, and it wiped out 100% of that wheat crop, which was going to be their income for the next year. And Erwin Lutzer remembers watching his parents stand at the window as the hail relentlessly came. And his father turned and said, Well, it's gone. And then he gathered the whole family in the living room. They all got down on their knees, and his father led in prayer. And he thanked God that day and said that he knew he would provide for them, and they need not fear. Finally, let the worship of Christ, let it last all week in your home. Let the worship of Christ not just be occasional. I don't mean continual Bible studies or prayer meetings. Listen to this in 1 Thessalonians 2.10. You are witnesses and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. And he said we were like a father and a mother to you. How holy, how righteous, how blameless we were the whole time we lived among you. In a few weeks, there's going to be a movie coming out called The Jesus Revolution. It's the story of the spiritual revival that took place in the 1970s, and I'm excited to see it. I I got caught up in that in high school. That's Jesus' revolution touched my life. Where did it begin, this revival that changed America 50 years ago? Well, there was a man named Chuck Smith And Chuck Smith was born in Ventura, California, and when he was just a very young boy, no, I guess his mother was still pregnant with him, his sister developed spinal meningitis and um, there was nothing they could do for her. So they called a pastor to come over because the doctor said she will die. And by the time the pastor arrived there, she was laying in this room lifeless. And the pastor said to her, don't give up, let's pray. And he began to pray and ask God to touch this young girl's life. And the mother, blinking back her tears, and I don't know if we can bargain with God or not. (laughs) Theologically, I'm not sure what to say about that. But the mother said, God, if you'll let my daughter live, I will serve you the rest of my life. That afternoon, the little girl's eyes opened. She sat up. Meningitis was gone. The mother, in the months prior to her delivery, said, Lord, if I can't be the one to serve you as I promised, do so through my son. Do it through my boy. And Chuck was born. In the 1970s, Chuck was pastoring in Costa Mesa. And some hippies showed up at his door. And um, he didn't want anything to do with them. He thought they were lazy and, you know, that their hygiene was bad. And his wife said, God cares about these people, Chuck. We need to as well won't ruin the movie for you. I hope you do go see it because in the end, thousands and thousands of young people were won to Christ through Chuck Smith as he began to reach out to these people. And it ignited a movement that spread across the nation. His was a resilient family that God chose to use Indeed, there's a lot of people today who are Christians and will enter into the kingdom forever. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands because of this ministry through him. Let us pray. Father, I, uh, this morning, I certainly don't want to minimize what people may be facing. I've certainly faced days where it seemed too difficult to go on, and I was certain I was at the end. But thank you, Lord, that in Jesus Christ, we have a resilience that we can endure, that we can persevere, and that we can come back stronger. I pray for families here today that they will dedicate themselves to serving Christ, and love one another, whatever the cost. In Christ's name, amen. 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 We thank God for this message. The first session of three.